0: You've got a Bible. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter eight. We're actually coming to the end of our series uh, on the book of Nehemiah, or at least as um, as far as we're planning on going. Uh, when we've been looking at this book over the last few weeks, and um, what we've heard over these last few weeks as we've been thinking about the story of. Uh, Nehemiah is, we've heard the story of this remarkable, naturally supernatural man of God. Starts out his life as cupbearer to the king. And if we just cast our minds back a a few weeks, uh, it all starts when Nehemiah hears news that Jerusalem, uh, the city of his ancestors, is, is lying in ruins. And uh, straight away, right from the very outset, we get insight into the nature and uh, what this this chap, Nehemiah, is all about. Because the very first thing that he does when he hears about the devastation of Jerusalem is he prays. He prays. And then what he does is, as you'll remember, he goes to to see the king, who's his boss. He basically asks for some time off. And uh, he asks for some resources to go with him. And he gets letters of uh, permission so that he can go and rebuild this broken down city and then he gets there and they arrive and you'll remember uh, and we should remember that um, actually uh, for Nehemiah and the Jews they'd been in exile for over a 100 years and so Nehemiah had never actually been to Jerusalem uh, before and he gets to Jerusalem and the first thing he does is he inspects the city walls carries out a survey he sees the work that needs to be Done, And then he invites all of the people, invites everybody to join with him in this rebuilding uh, project. So we saw that back in chapter 3. There's this incredible response. And there's this incredible response, not only from the people who had been left. There was a small fragment of very, very poor people who'd been left in Jerusalem. So there's this incredible response, not only from the fragment of people who'd been left in Jerusalem, uh, but from all of the surrounding Areas. People literally saying, we're in, we're here, you know, where do we sign, where do we sign up? We want to get involved, where where do we get stuck in? People showing up, people taking uh, the initiative, really just to see this project uh, completed and the city restored to its uh, former glory. And as Mike said uh, a couple of weeks ago, as Manny said, Last week, it's a a bit like it's reminiscent for us of the response that we've had from so many of you when we've asked you to get involved in joining with this church as we make our move uh, from here in a couple of weeks' time to a new Sunday venue on Easter Sunday at the Ark. And as we've asked you to help uh, us make things happen, you've been absolutely fantastic. The response has been just incredible. People have signed up for all sorts of... Of things some of you um, have signed up and you're brand new to the church you've only been here like a couple of weeks and you're signing up already to getting stuck in and helping out some of you have been around for years and years and years and you've done every single thing in the church and every single thing that could possibly be done in the church and more and yet you're still uh, signing up to do things because there's so much for us all to do and if you haven't yet signed up for something it really really is a great way to get involved in being part of the family here it's It's not just a blessing uh, to us as a church. It's not just a blessing to the people around you. It will be a blessing uh, to you um, as an individual, I promise. And you get to serve alongside some uh, wonderful men and women of God. So if you haven't signed up yet for anything or you want to find out more, speak to Mike afterwards and just get uh, stuck in. And uh, just by the by, this has got nothing to do with anything that we're going to talk about this morning. It's just by the by, but as we've always said in this church, if... um, if the Lord is putting something on your heart and it's, you know, you look around the church and there's something that we're not doing as a church, there's some area of ministry or something that we're not involved in that the Lord has put on your heart and you've got a real burning uh, passion for, um, come and see us. Come and talk to us. Um, don't wait to get asked. Um, you will be waiting for ages. Um, I'm sorry. Um, you know we work on the premise that we 're all adults here we 're all grown up. we can all hear from god you 're all very, very capable of hearing from the Lord for yourself and as long as the thing that the Lord is speaking to you about the thing that you 're passionate about fits in with the vision the Lord has given us as a church and um, the truth is is there 's only a few things that are probably outside of that um, we are going to want to bless you and release you and resource you and do everything we possibly can to help you succeed in seeing that thing um, flourish. So, as you're as you're praying and as you're asking the Lord, and you're looking around the church, if there are things that you're thinking, oh, "Why do we do more of this? What are we doing? It'd be great if we did this. It'd be great if we did that." Pray some more, and then come and talk to us. We'd love to. Um, we'd love to really see you in those things. Okay. Then we got to chapter four. Uh, by chapter four, Nehemiah uh, finds himself handling. Uh, his first signs of opposition there's opposition against the people there was opposition against his plan to rebuild the city Um, and again we saw in chapter four the very first thing that he does is he prays Uh, and um, you get to see again and you get to see this again and again throughout this book is this sort of wonderfully naturally supernatural blend of prayer and action Nehemiah is just classically known as a man of prayer and action he doesn't just pray he doesn't just do stuff he does these two things together, naturally supernatural prayer and action. By the time we get to chapter 5, we see how Nehemiah handles confrontation, how he handles um, challenge. And then in chapter 6, Mike looked at a couple of weeks ago how Nehemiah deals with personal attack and slander. And then last week, Manny looked at chapter 7 and how now that the walls of Jerusalem are complete, uh, Nehemiah and those people who are left in Jerusalem start to think and they start to position themselves and ready themselves for growth and expansion. And they, they look through, they look at the city now restored through the eyes of faith. And they see not only just the city that is physically restored with the walls being rebuilt and the gates set in place, but they see a city that soon will be filled with people, teeming with people and filled With uh, the presence of God and the city becoming the very city that God had uh, originally intended for her to be. Okay? So, that now brings us to chapter 8, which for me, I think, um, is really the climax of the whole uh, book. We're going to start the last verse of chapter 7. So, we've got a Bible. Let's have a look at this. Last verse of chapter 7. When the seventh month, when the seventh. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded for Israel so on the first day of the seventh month Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand he read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the Watergate, in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the scribe, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion, Beside him on his right, stood Sudmathathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkar, and Masiah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashram, Hardword, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Um, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Massiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanman, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared this day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the, hands, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the Lord. They found written in the law, which the law had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them from the days of Joshua son of Nun until that day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this and their joy was very great. Day after day from the first day to the last Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days and on the eighth day in accordance with the regulation there was an assembly. Lord we thank you For the word of God, we thank you for the privilege that we have of being able to gather together as your church. We gather together as this part of the body of Christ. We join with the church across this nation and across the world. We thank you for the freedom that we have to stand here this morning and to read from the scriptures. We thank you for the precious gift of the scriptures. We treasure and we value your word to us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come and that you would open up the scriptures and the truths contained within them to us, that you would soften our hearts, that we might be attentive and responsive to the words that you want to speak to us this morning. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you would increase your presence in our midst, that your glory would fill this place, that the name of Jesus would we'll be lifted high. Amen. So, uh, Nehemiah and his team, they've rebuilt the city, um, but. It doesn't take them very long to realize that fancy architecture alone does not a city make. And um, for those of you who haven't been to the Ark, uh, the same uh, could be said of churches, which is just as well as when you get to see the architecture um, of the Ark, the new venue in a couple of weeks' time, it's probably just as well, that churches are not about buildings uh, and cities aren't about walls. These guys have done all the work of rebuilding. They've set the gates. They've restored the walls. Homes have been reconstructed. Uh, even some people have started to move back. But there is still something missing. There is something missing in Jerusalem. And despite all of the appearances, uh, the city, it's just not quite what it's supposed to be. And that's where chapter 8 um, comes in. Because it's in this chapter that we see what it is that makes Jerusalem different. This is uh, where we get to see what it is that's going to make this city stand out. This is where we begin to understand why the city is, to be, is called to be a, a, like a, a, a beacon of hope on a hillside, bringing light to all the cities and the nations all around. Because this chapter is about the making of a city. What is it that really brings life and health to Jerusalem? And this morning uh, we could uh, ask ourselves, what is it that really brings health and life to a church? And I think for Nehemiah and his um, team, the, the idea, the desire to leave um, his job as cupbearer to the king and go and make the journey to Jerusalem to rebuild and to restore the city walls. For Nehemiah and for all those people that were involved, it was much more, uh, it was about much more than a civil engineering project. It wasn't just about physically building walls, restoring the city's fabric. That was only ever um, intended as as a precursor if you like, to something much more important, much more significant that needed to happen in order for Jerusalem to step into the fullness of everything that God had called her to be. And that That thing was the presence of the living God. That thing was the presence of God. The presence of God dwelling in their midst. And in chapter 8 we have a sense of the presence of the living God in their midst. Demonstrated in and through the word of God. The word of God. The voice of God. The word of the Lord. This was to be um, a city that was built around, that was centered upon the Lord. The people who were living in the city were to be a people for whom the word of the Lord, the, the, the voice of the Lord, the presence of the Almighty, the spirit of the living God, was to be at the very center of all that they were, the The community, the people, obviously, they wanted a a renewed city. They wanted, um, you know, fancy new houses and nice shiny walls and gates in all the right places. Of course, they did. No one wants to live in burnt out ruins. But much more than that, what they wanted was um, a a city that had been renewed from the inside out. A city where God's voice was being heard. The word of the Lord was being spoken right from the very center and from the very core of the city. And, um, what's interesting, I think, when you look at this chapter eight, the beginning of chapter eight, is as the city gathers together, as all the people come together, all the men and the women and anyone who can understand as they all come together to hear the word of the Lord, which is what they're doing. They're coming together to hear the reading of the scriptures, to hear the voice of God, to hear the spirit of the living God speaking to them in that moment, to them in that moment. They gather in the square by the water gates in verse one. You've got all this kind of prophetic significance, it's this, this, this sort of, uh, this image that you see there is the, the gathering at the gates, which is right by the place where they would get all of their water that they relied on to quench their thirst, where they would get their water that would sustain them and keep them alive, where they'd get their water which would enable them to irrigate, irrigate their crops. And um, it would, would, would enable them to have all of the things that they needed for life in the city. and this is the place. this is where it has been ordained that Ezra um, decrees that the word of God is going to be read for the first time in generations. The city is finally beginning to feel complete. it's physically restored. now it's being spiritually renewed and spiritually restored as the voice of God as the word of of God is being brought to the very center of absolutely everything. And this morning I just want to take a look at a few things that I think we can see from the people uh, that are gathered there um, throughout this chapter. And the first is this thing. Have a look at verse 3. They've got this appetite. The people are um, hungry. They're thirsty. They've got this appetite, this voracious appetite. Look at this in verse 3. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Sun rises early. Daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. See, the people in Jerusalem, they've got this terrific appetite for this book. Terrific appetite! They just want to devour this. It's like just read it to me from dawn. I'm going to get up really, really early, right? I can't read myself, so I'm just going to go and stand in the square and listen to somebody reading this to me from dawn till noon, because I just want desperately to hear what's in here. We've got our own versions. We've got our own books. We've got our. It's on our phones. It's on our iPads. It's, it's available to us everywhere. These guys had to get up the crack of dawn, make their way down to the Watergate. And listen while somebody read it. They have this huge appetite. And we've got to remember that for the majority of these people, this would have been the first time that they would have, uh, there would have been a reading of the, war, the law of God. So many generations had passed since Jerusalem was in its heyday. And so many of these people, they were coming for the first time with this incredible appetite to hear the word of God. It's like, you can imagine them saying things on their way. And it's like, you know, I've heard from I've heard from our forefathers. I've heard from our ancestors. I've heard from my grandparents. Um, I've heard them speak of the fact that they speak of this book that Moses wrote for us. This The book that God has put together that was, was instructed that should be read. Generations have ignored it. Now we're getting to hear it for ourselves. It's like, ah, I'm going to get up before dawn. I want a good space. I want to be able to hear. They're so keen to to hear that they get to hear all that's written, they, 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 um, what they do in verse four, they build out Ezra a platform. Ezra gets this little platform. It's biblical. Gets to stand above all the people? I think it was a higher platform, perfectly, But there you go. Just, just, just saying. And he doesn't share it with the worship team. I don't think. I think he has his own platform. I mean, I'm just saying. You know, we want to be a people of the word. Right? Just... Just teasing for those of you who don't know me yet. Um, see, even though the walls have been restored, even though the gates have been set, even though the houses are in place, the city the is not complete. It's not complete until the word of the Lord, until the scriptures have been read and the scriptures are back in their rightful place. The scripture is right at the very, very center and very heart of The city, everything is central to what's in here. Um, Same time for us as followers of Jesus, for us as a church. You know, we can have all of the right things in place. We can look like we've got it all together. We can have ministries coming out of our ears. We can all be signed up to 20 small groups. Uh, We can be serving on gazillions of different teams. But if this book, if the scriptures, if these are not central to our lives, if this book is not dear to us, if we are not passionate about devouring the contents of this book and allowing the living word of God to minister to our spirits. We're missing missing it. We're we're just not going to be all that we're called to be. And that's why here at the Vineyard we try to take this book seriously. We try our best to take this book really seriously. It's why we give so much of our time on a Sunday morning to Talking about the scriptures, looking at what the Bible says for us. This is what we stand on. This is our foundation. This is our plumb line. This is our yardstick. This is our gold standard. This is our reference point for everything that we try to do as best we possibly can before the Lord. How's our appetite for the scriptures this morning? How's your appetite for the scriptures this morning? Not only do these people um, have an appetite, um, just see the responsiveness to these people. These people are responsive. Have a look at verse 5. Ezra opens the book, and all the people can see him because he's standing above them on his own little platform. But we won't reiterate that. That wasn't there in verse 5. You see, you need to bring your Bibles because, I mean, I I I could have platforms built unless you've seen them, unless you see what's in here. You need to have your own Bibles with you. Ezra, this is this is actually verse one. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. You just picture the scene: all of these people gathered in the square by the water gate, and the priest, as he gets up to read the scriptures, what do they do? They all stand. They all stand this wonderful, I don't know whether he told them so or whether they just just did it automatically. But there's this sense of respect and honor that is due for this book. There is respect and honor that is due to the scriptures. And we read the scriptures even if we don't do it physically. Physically. Metaphorically, we should be standing to attention. These people are attentive and responsive to the word of God. Just a demonstration that they're present. They're interrupting their preoccupation with themselves and attending to the presence of the Almighty through the scriptures. They're attentive, they're listening, they're ready, they're eager, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're eager to see what's to come. Then it goes on in verse 6. and It says this. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then what they do? Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. All on the reading of the scripture. The Bible is being read. The people are standing up. The priest prays. Everyone raises their hands. This is not in worship. This is in the reading of the scripture. They raise their hands in worship and say, Amen, Amen, preach it, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and then, they, what can I do? But I, I, I need to get on my face before the Lord. I need to bow down. I need to lay out before the Lord. On the reading of the scripture. Here's a people. These are people are flying blind to the things of God. Many of them had no idea what's even in this book. You know what? What are God's plans for how society is supposed to work? How is the city supposed to function? How is community supposed to operate? How are we supposed to relate to our neighbors? What has God told us about how we're supposed to do marriage and family and singleness and childness? It's all in here. I want to listen. I want to hear. I want to find out. What does God have to say about how we're supposed to do our relationships. And how we're supposed to live together. And how we're supposed to work alongside one another. How are we supposed to relate to God. And how are we supposed to worship. And how do we worship. And how do we do prayer. And all of these kind of things. And it's as if the people by their responsiveness. By their keenness. Their their, their, their respect that they have, the honor and respect they have for the word of the Lord, it's like they are coming to inquire of the Lord in this temple. Let's let's come, let's, let's see, Lord, tell us how it works, tell us how we're supposed to live, tell us how you've designed this thing called life to be lived, and these are your instructions, these are your commandments, these are the things that we want to know about. We know that we can't do this on our own, so we want to turn to what's in here and be attentive to what's in here, because... These are the words of life. We're ready and we're willing and we're eager to learn from you, O oh Lord. And as, um, as Ezra opens up the scriptures, the sense of um, anticipation is palpable. These people are hungry for the word of the Lord. These people are inquisitive to get to grips with what's in the maker's manual. This is like the, the maker's instruction manual. And if you're anything like me, I, the trouble is, is I never read them Instructions. I'm fiddling around, trying to get the blasted thing to work, and getting frustrated and banging it and smashing it. And... and there's a book, even with a quick setup guide. I just don't have the patience to read it. And the Lord's saying, "Just, it's all, in, it's all in here. Just spend a bit of time read the maker's manual." How hungry are we this morning for God's word? How we, how responsive are we? what's in here? Okay, appetite, responsiveness. Lastly, repentance. Have a look at this, verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. All the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. Do you find that strange? Here's Ezra. He's reading the Bible. Um, Here's all the people. They're hanging on his every word. You know, they stand up at the right places and they're shouting Amen and they're waving their hands around in the air and then they're bowing down and, and now they're all weeping. They stand to hear the scriptures being read. And as they stand, one by one, they start to cry. Like as if they're in mourning. And it's actually not a surprising response at all. Um, because it's what happens when we encounter the presence of the living God. Uh, don't turn to it now, but you'll be familiar with um, if you've ever heard me preach at least with Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is, he sees the Lord. He sees. He's literally in the presence of the living God. He sees the Lord um, uh, high and exalted, seated. On a throne, the train of the Lord's robe fills the temple, and above him are seraphim. And they've each got six wings. Uh, With two wings, they're flying. With two wings, they're covering their faces. With two wings, they're covering their feet. And they're flying, and, and they're calling to one another. They're calling to one another, holy, holy, this antiphonal calling. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah Isaiah, seeing all of this, and he's witnessing all of this, and he's standing and he's in the presence of the Almighty God, and at the sound of the Lord's voice, the, the door posts and the thresholds shake, and the, whole, the temple the whole temple is filled with smoke. And here's Isaiah, he's in the presence of the Lord Almighty. What's his response?? "Woe to me," I cried. For I am a man of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. He's in the presence of the living God. And the only thing he's <laughs> literally. It's like Job. I put my hand over my mouth. Whoa to me I cried. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. You see. As we get a revelation of God. We were singing about it this morning. If we get a revelation of God in the splendor and majesty of his holiness. We are undone. It's as simple as that. We're undone. It's like we literally come apart at the seams. And very often this coming undone finds expression through tears. It's our emotion. that we, we weep. It's why so many people walk of, over the years have walked in through the doors of this church and many other churches like it. And they come in. They've never been in the church before. And they come in and they're standing there and they, you know, there's a bit of worship, something going on. And suddenly they find themselves weeping. They're going, I don't know what's wrong with me. Why am I crying? I can't stop crying. What's wrong with me? Well, nothing's wrong with you. You've just encountered the presence of the living God. And you are coming undone at the seams. His kindness is leading you to repentance. And whether it's through the word of God, whether it's through this book, whether it's through the scriptures, whether it's through a move of the spirit of God, or whether it's during ministry, or whether it's in the middle of um, worship, in the light of God's goodness and grace, Get a revelation of His holiness, the splendour, the majesty, the awesomeness of God. In the light of His goodness and His grace, we see ourselves, and we find ourselves face to face with the reality that we actually have maybe drifted a little bit further away from our heavenly Father than we thought. And we we realise that actually we may have fallen further than we ever realised, and and we begin to weep. Our emotions rise, right, and we are. Undone, and um, that—that's the beginning. It's the beginning of repentance. It's that broken-heartedness. That woe to me, I cry, for I am a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. As we as we encounter the glory of the presence of the living God, it's that broken-heartedness, that repentance, that sets us off on the journey of salvation and redemption. This is kindness, actually. Romans, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And that's just how the vineyard started. Just how the vineyard started. A group of people hungry for God, attentive for God's presence, responsive um, to the, the spirit of God in their midst, realizing how far from God they had actually drifted. They were doing all the right things. Do you know what I mean? By their own admission, they were running Bible studies and meeting on Sundays and they were wearing all the right clothes and they were saying all the right things. You know, they weren't all kind of, you know, pagan terrors. They were properly religious people by their own admission. And they realized that actually, despite having a form of religion, they were denying the power thereof. And so they realized that they'd actually drifted quite a long way from God, even in the midst of their gatherings and their celebrations and their feasts. And they were desperate for him. And so they started to gather together in a small house, and they would just sing these simple worship songs to Jesus, just saying, "Oh, we're desperate for you. We long for you. We don't want to be this religious. We want want you. And as the spirit of the Lord would fill this small house where they met, just as as the presence of the living God fills the square by the water gate, we read about in Nehemiah chapter 8, people began to weep. People began to weep. People began to cry out to the Lord. People began to repent. And the Lord heard the longing of their hearts, and God's presence came in power, and the vineyard was birth. this morning we need to cry out we we need to cry out we always need to be crying out calling out to god for revival for renewal we need to be on our faces before the lord asking god to revive our hearts to renew us individually to restore us to rebuild us as a church you know lord we have heard of your fame lord we stand in awe of your deeds will you renew them the cry of our hearts. Lord, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Will you renew them in our time and in our day? Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Wherever you see revival, wherever you read about remarkable outpourings of the Spirit of God, wherever you see the Spirit of God breaking through and and the kingdom coming in a, a new way, one of the first things that happens. There's been this sense of grief, and there's been the sense of mourning, and the the the, the truth is, um, repentance, conviction, um, these things actually—they're our friends. We may not like them very much, but actually, they're our friends. Repentance and conviction. Whenever, whenever we feel convicted of something, we should be going with it. You know the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction. Leads you closer to the cross. Condemnation takes you further away from the cross. So when you're feeling condemned, when the enemy is trying to condemn you and shame you, it's creating separation between us and the Lord, and it takes us further away. You know, uh, conviction. The Spirit of God convicts us and leads us in all righteousness. He brings us. The Spirit of God convicts us to point us towards Jesus, to bring us to the cross, so that we can lay that stuff at the foot of the cross. That so we can be. We can, we can be forgiven, we can repent, we can turn away from it. And our relationship with God is not separated, it's not broken. We, we need to lean into conviction, we need to lean into repentance, we need to allow the Spirit of God to examine us, search us and know us, and see if there's any offensive way in us, and lead us in the way everlasting. Allow the Spirit of God to open us up, and allow the Spirit of God to come and do open heart surgery on us. Let's be a people who are prepared to say, okay, I'm feeling convicted, I feel pretty uncomfortable right now. But I'm going to go with it because I want to know what direction the spirit of God is leading me in so that I can make a good next choice, a good next decision. Because conviction, if we respond to it, will lead us to good choices which will take us closer to the cross of Christ. Conviction is our friend. Conviction leads us to God. Um, Because as we find out from, uh, as we read on this last story, the story of Nehemiah, as the people get convicted, Nehemiah, Nehemiah immediately turns to them. Okay, in verse 10, it says, go. So all the people have been mourning and weeping and wailing, right? And now Nehemiah says, go, 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 go and enjoy Choose, choice food and sweets. Oh, and send some to those who've got nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That was the prophetic word. Through worship, that was the prophetic word of the Lord to us as a church this morning. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But one of the things the Lord is ministering to us this morning was joy of the Lord is our strength. And what, what Nehemiah is saying is that seriously, I know you're all weeping, and I know you're in a mess, and all your mascaras run all over the place, and you know. Just but don't worry, don't fret. We are on the right tracks. What's happening here? This weeping, this wailing, this mourning, this is a good thing. What's happening is we're getting reconnected as a people to God. We are recognizing the condition, the Isaiah 6 moment, of our hearts and our position and our, the state of ourselves. And we are, we, are, um, we are being reconnected with the Lord. And individually we are being renewed and restored. And as a city we are being regenerated. The word of the Lord is being lifted up and the people are humbling themselves before their God. And Nehemiah is saying, people, this is all good Don't make this a day of mourning. In fact, let's have a let's have a party. It's my celebration. Let's mark it as a day of celebration. Let's let's have a week of celebrating. Let's go and enjoy food and wine because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so, having begun with all of this attentiveness, having being responsive to the Lord of God in their midst, having poured out their hearts in sort of in, in humility and repentance before the Lord, the people end, the whole thing ends with a big party. A big celebration. Verse 17, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this. It's like party like it's, you know, 853. And the joy. Say verse seventeen, and their joy was very great. It's okay. Yes, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance the with regulation, they held an assembly. What's that? Reading about Nehemiah, what is it that really makes the difference? What, what really makes Jerusalem come alive? It's not about building walls and setting gates. What makes Jerusalem come alive? Nehemiah, what it's about, is it about, it's about putting God right at the very center of the lives of the people. Nehemiah chapter 8, represented through the scriptures, represented through the word of God, the voice of God, the presence of God, being at the very, very center, being at the very, very heart of the city. The people both know that the people want that they are up for it they're, they're, they they want to make it happen they want to receive it they want to recognize it they stand when they can see it happening they can sense it happening in the spiritual they're, they they're attentive to receiving it they're open to it they let their hearts be convicted and because they're responsive and attentive and repentant they're able to receive all of the joy of the lord the fullness um in your fullness of, and in your presence is fullness of joy the presence of God comes. The presence of God comes and falls upon us. In that presence, it's fullness of joy. And they make the, the joy that they then have that fills them um, spreads out. To go goes out to all, the, the, all of the towns, all around the area to make a difference around Jerusalem and beyond. And that's the story of the church. Nehemiah's the story of the church, basically. Are our ears attentive? Are we, are we going to stand? Are we, are we going to be attentive? Are we, this morning, are we responsive to the presence, to the move, the leading of the Spirit of God? Are we open to being convicted? See, the Lord has got great things in store for us. So individually, as a church, he has great plans for us. And a bit like Nehemiah in chapter 8, you know, or chapter 7, chapter 8. The people are looking at a city that kind of looks and feels like it's the right shape. It looks and feels like a city, but it's not quite, not quite there yet. What is, what is it? What is it? What is it? The people are being called to look at the city through the eyes of faith. Not at what's right here, but about what God is calling them into. God's preferred future for them as, a, as individuals. God's preferred future for them as a city. God's preferred future for us as individuals. God's preferred future for us as a church. And as we as a church step into the fullness of all the things that the Lord is calling us into. um, We need to be a people of the word. It's just not going to happen. We're going to miss out on the things that God has for us if this isn't a a primary passion for us. We need to know this book. We need to be devouring this book. We need to be meditating on it, chewing on it, tying it to our foreheads and our doorposts and our wrists, talking about it when we go out uh, to our kids and to one another when we're going out for dinner or out for breakfast or on our way to work. We we need to be reading it. And, and, And we'll come across bits that we don't understand. It's like, This is brutal. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's talk with other people and say, someone help me explain that. I don't understand this at all. Let's be rigorous with it. But let's get to grips with it. Let's talk about it. Let's run groups about it. Small groups. I'd love to see some more small groups set up. Just studying the scriptures. And those groups being filled. Because we're so keen and attentive to devour the scriptures we need to know the the book we need to be expectant um, that god's presence is going to be in our midst that god's presence is here are we attentive are we responsive do we even know what the presence of god in our midst looks and feels like we need to be aware of what that looks like we need to have an appetite for the things of god we need to have a responsiveness uh, to the move of the Spirit of God. And we need to have all of that with an attitude and a heart of um, of humility and repentance. So we ready ourselves, prepare ourselves, as we pray for as we look ahead towards the Spirit of God filling us and filling our midst. Why don't you stand?